present for you. Ooh. Anna's just running away without the presents. Oh, there you go. Bless you, little guy. Um, all right, thank you guys so much. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John 4. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it will magically appear on the screen behind me, and you can just follow along. Uh, what we're looking at today uh, is uh, a story that you may know about, um, and it's just a, a beautiful story. Um, and as Leon mentioned, or Pastor Mac mentioned, we are in the season of Lent. And so in the season of Lent, uh, these passages are, are specifically geared towards us leaning into our sin, our depravity, our humanity, uh, as we look at them in light of the gospel. So this is John 4, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 through 25. Um, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sorry, we were in Exodus. I was like, I am not prepared to preach a sermon out of Exodus uh, 7 this morning. All right, John 4, verses 5 through 25. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You've got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water will give, I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, the Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will, follow, will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. 
When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your scripture. We're so grateful for the fact that we sit under it. We're so grateful for the fact that as these two families seek to pass down the faith that was passed down to them, they do so not without a guide, but they do so with the scripture to lead them, the Holy Spirit to guide them as they seek to sit under the authority of the Bible. And we do that same thing today. Every Sunday morning when we hear the word preached, we are sitting under the authority of the Bible. And we pray that you would give us hearts that are moldable to be changed, to be convicted of our sin, of our wrong thinking and our wrongdoing, and be, we would walk out of this room a little bit more like Jesus. Father, we're thankful for the church, thankful for opportunities to be Christ to one another, thankful to live into our calling as part of the kingdom, that our best life is not making much of ourselves, but is making much of you in the primary way. One of the primary ways we do this is by loving each other well. May we lean in to this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we moved into this building, we used to have church down the street in Vine City. And some of you have never even known that building. It was pre-COVID, which is how we will always kind of dictate uh, when things happened around this time. It was pre-COVID. And we not only worship there on Sunday morning, we use the space uh, for office, uh, office space. And so there's a nonprofit, some friends of ours that work um, uh, with women who've been exploited, uh, a nonprofit called Beloved, and we, uh, for a long season, got to share the office space with them. Uh, so we would set up some folding tables, middle of the sanctuary, they would set up some folding tables on the other side, and we would just kind of do office and life together there during the week. Well, one day, I think it was a Tuesday, they uh, were you know, having a meeting, and then one of them came over to you know my office, which was a folding chair. I mean, with a fold on a, next to a folding table, and they came over and said, "Drew, do you want to be part of a health challenge?" And I said, "I don't know what that is, but that sounds great. Like, sign me up. I love a good group activity." They gave me the sheet. It was a chart with a bunch of you know things to fill in. And I honestly didn't look at it again. I put it on the table and just kind of moved on with my day. And then I got to work on Thursday, and they said, Drew, it's time for check-in on our health challenge. And so I had scribbled a few things in there before I set it on my desk, and I said, okay, I'm ready. And they said, you're up first. And I said, super. Like, this couldn't go, couldn't be going better. This is fine. And we got to my first goal, and my first goal, and there were prompts for this, but my first goal was drinking water. And my goal was three cups a day. And when I said three cups a day, one of my dear friends that works there had kind of a very judgy look on her face, like three, three cups, like that's it. And I said, I saw her face. I responded with, you know, I took a deep breath and said, yes, three cups. That is my goal. And I'd like you to know I hit it every day since Tuesday. And I said, yesterday, I got up and I had coffee, and I know how that's made. I make it every morning. I dump water right into the coffee pot. I went to lunch and had a Coke Zero, had multiple refills, and I you know, know the first ingredient on the back of the can is water, and then 
For dinner, I had an adult beverage, and I've been to breweries. I know how those work. It's lots of water involved in that process. And so I said, three, let's move on to the next goal. Her face went from like judgy to very concerned at that point. Uh, she was like, not only am I disappointed, I'm a little bit curious like how you are alive at this point. Um, and so I learned a valuable lesson that day on how what, what qualifies as water and what does not qualify as water. Um, but I learned a valuable lesson that we all need to be drinking water. And so now I, I have a, a picture that I, I, I stole from the common area at work, sorry, Justin, um, where we, we work and share office space, and I have a goal to drink, you know, at least one of those a day. It's, it's not a ton. I see you guys walking around with your, like, five-gallon jugs of water. Um, I'm very impressed by that. I don't know how you get through a meeting without having to go to the bathroom, but I'm very impressed by that. But what we see here is the lesson of, of thirst and what we need to, to quench that thirst. And in Jesus, when he goes about this story and this interaction, what I love from the jump here is that we see both the 100% the, the God of Jesus by knowing what's going on with this woman, but we also see the humanity of Christ and that he is thirsty and tired. And he gets to this well and he starts chatting it up with this Samaritan woman. And she, in fact, this is actually the longest conversation in the entire book of John that anyone has with Jesus. So let that sink in, the longest conversation that anyone has with Jesus, and he has it with a Samaritan woman. This passage in John 4, it points out directly that Jews and Samaritans just simply do not mix. Culturally, they were un Samaritans were unclean. The Jewish people said, we're not even allowed, allowing you to talk to them. And on top of that, this Samaritan woman is probably, presumably, an outcast of her own people. And, she, and we even see in her interaction with Jesus that she kind of puts him off. She gives flippant and sarcastic answers, and clearly there is baggage along with that empty water pail that she's bringing to this well. She's coming to get water at a time when no one would be there, presumably to avoid interaction with others because of her shady past. And we see from this interaction with Jesus, that Jesus knows about that past because what question or what command does he give? He says, go and get your husband. And what's profound about this is that Jesus knows the, the kind of uh, the, the sordid past of this woman, but he treats this woman different than anybody in her day would have treated her and honestly treats her different than a lot of us in 2023 would treat her. When we think about how to, when I thought about how this woman would interact in the world today, I thought about how some folks that are kind of on the far left would look at her and say, all right, we'll offer her help. We want to help this woman, but gosh, we're gonna, we're probably gonna tiptoe around or not even mention the fact that she is living with a man who's not her husband. And she has some sort of history there. We're going to blame that on, you know, it's got to be just her circumstances or something else that happened in her past, and it's not her fault. I don't want to talk about that. The left would look at that and say, I don't even know if she should be responsible for this. We can't even name it as sin. But on the flip side of that, the far right would look at it and say, we will be very ready to talk about the sin 
We're going to give her some life advice, maybe solicited, maybe unsolicited. And then in a lot of ways, they would walk away and say, all right, I've given her the advice. She can go figure this out on her own, pull herself up by her bootstraps. But this third way, this Jesus way, is not a compromise between the two. It's a new way. He leads with compassion. He holds her accountable to her sin. He names the the issues that she has created in her life, but then he offers a way forward. Despite knowing all about her sin, probably more about her life than even the other people that were avoiding her, she was avoiding, knew about her life, he looks at her, interacts with this woman, and encourages her with the one thing that can bring her joy. And what was the posture as he offered this spring of water? It was compassionate, grace-filled, honest, honest, truth-telling love. And brothers and sisters, we in this story, we would love to see ourselves as Jesus, but in so many ways, we are this Samaritan woman. Like we were made to drink water, we were made with a desire for something, for someone to satisfy parts of us that cannot be satisfied in any other way outside of the Lord. And some of you are in this room, maybe you've been coming a while and are not Christians at all, and you can feel the exhaustion of the things that you run to, to quench that thirst, to fulfill that hunger, and you come to church saying, I don't know what's going on with this place, but I hope that they offer me something better than the things I've been running to. But there's also so many of us in this room who are Christians, who have put their faith in Christ. And we read a passage like this, and we say, gosh, I still feel so thirsty. I still feel so hungry. And in his brilliance, Jesus uses this illustration of water not to shame this woman, but to shine a light on all of our sins. We think about greed. What is greed? Greed is simply a thirst for more than you have. If I only have, fill in the blank, I will be okay, satisfied. If I only have a better paying job. If I only have the promotion at work, if I only have what so-and-so has as far as a vehicle or a housing situation or fill in the blank, greed is simply a thirst for more. Envy in the same way as a thirst for someone else's life. This is so hard. As you walk through life, you interact with folks that, you know, you, you, you have a lunch or a dinner or it's a, a parent of a, another kid, a, a friends, friends with your kids, and you're like, gosh, their life looks so much easier than mine. Gosh, they have the incredible vacations or they have this car or this marriage or this, you know, structure at home or their kids seem so perfectly behaved, which everybody's kids do when they're out, but behind closed doors, let me tell you, it is hard for all of us. We envy other people's lives, which is simply a thirst. Lust. I mean, this is literally the phrase people use to describe some dude or some woman who is trying to seductively attract someone else. When I said thirst, I know some of you thought about thirsty as soon as I said that. I'm just going to say the word out loud here. When lust is simply the thirst for someone else to sinfully gratify 
those desires, those sexual desires that you have. And for some, it's using sex or sexual intimacy to try to meet some emotional or relational desire of feeling wanted, feeling desired. It's a thirst. Power is a thirst for control and or recognition. The list could go on and on and on. And what Lent does, it invites us to be honest with the Lord. What are you thirsty for? Every single one of you in this room has something inside of you that you're longing for, and so often you're looking to something other than Christ to fulfill it. And thirst and hunger can make you do some crazy things. I am like, I don't know if this is all, this is a male thing or what, but I love to eat breakfast, love to eat lunch, love to eat dinner, and then love that fourth meal at like 10.30 at night. Anybody else love a good fourth meal? Yes, men and women, thank you. And so oftentimes, my wife, one of her gifts is that she is incredible at making like large amounts of food uh, for a lot of people, and it's so good. And so oftentimes, I will open up the fridge uh, at like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm scanning the fridge for what to eat. Uh, it's one of, it's one, of those, uh, one of the things that, you know, sometimes drives her crazy. I'll just stand there and just keep looking. It's taking me like five minutes. She was asleep when this happened years ago. It's like five or six years ago. I scanned the fridge, and I saw that she had prepared some sort of like breaded chicken, um, and I, she had made it the night before, or sometime that day, I meant, and then it was for some dinner we had tomorrow. And I thought, I know she didn't love this, I'm just going to sneak like one tenderloin. Um, and so I went in there. I didn't even, this is gross, but I didn't even take it off the like Pyrex thing. I just ate it straight from there and, you know, ate that tenderloin, went on to bed. And I woke up the next morning feeling guilty that I had like done the thing that drives her crazy, eat the food that is for something else. Any, any, uh, is issue in anybody else's marriage at times? Uh, I see some nods. Nobody's brave enough to say yes, but I see some nods. And so I got up, I said that to her, I said, I just need to come clean, I'm really sorry about this, I was just super hungry, and she had this concerned look on her face, and she goes, Drew, like, that wasn't cooked. <laughs> like, you just ate uncooked tender, like a, a chicken tenderloin with, like, bread on the top, and I was so hungry the night before and so tired, I didn't even notice it. Like, I didn't, it did, I ate the, and I, it wasn't like one bite, the whole tenderloin, it's like six bites, just cut it with a knife and a fork. It seemed a little hard to cut, which I wasn't going to complain. I was like, seems a little tough on the, on the cooking here. Ate the whole thing. And I was very concerned. I did not get sick, you know, but, you know, don't, don't see this as a pass to, like, eat raw chicken. But, like, I, was, I did not get sick. But I remember, I remember this often when I think about thirst and hunger, is that it makes us do incredibly stupid things. Things that seem so normal in the moment. You're like, oh, I don't, like, this will satisfy me. This will fulfill my thirst or my hunger. But so often, how many times the next day, you have that sinking feeling, hopefully not, you know, almost salmonella like me, but have that sinking <laughs> feeling of, like, what have I done? Greed, envy, lust, pride, fill in the blank. And the good news with this, and the good news throughout Lent, is that as gross as our sin is, and it is incredibly gross, that Jesus isn't mad at you, and he offers us a solution. 
And the solution isn't just to highlight our sin, to show the ways that we thirst and the ways we quench that thirst in the wrong ways, but he offers, offers us the one thing that will truly quench our thirst. The life Jesus gives satisfies our needs. And what does he say here? He says it springs up to eternal life. Notice the words Jesus uses to describe what he has to offer. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whatever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what I want to show you here is the difference between a well and a spring. This right here is a well. I don't know a ton about these things, but my in-laws, they own like a big uh, horse farm, and at times they've gone like drilling for wells so they don't have to carry the water all the way up the hill to the horses. And I can tell you this, it's a lot of work to find where the well should be dug and dig the well out. You work really hard, you, you search for where you think you'll hit water, and you just start digging. A spring, which you hit the next slide, a spring, on the other hand, is a natural outflow of water from some underground supply that bubbles to the ground surface. It just comes up. And the beautiful part about it is you do nothing to make that spring work, and it flows and flows and flows and flows. Church, this is the love Christ offers, a never-ending love that comes not from our hard work, not from us doing enough good things, not from us reading the Bible enough, but it comes as a gift to us. And that gift changes our lives. At the, end of, at the end of this story, we see this woman left the water jar behind. And I don't think that she, like, never physically thirsted again, although, you know, I made it for a long time on Coke Zero and coffee, I'm just saying that. She, but she probably did have some water in her life. But I think symbolically she left that behind as a way to say I'm leaving behind my old life now that I've tasted this living water of Jesus. And what I want us to do today, there's going to be some cards in the back. Uh, we're going to take this glass table and put some cards in the back. And then I'm going to set um, a, a, little, a little box up here. And we use it to collect money, but it's not for that. You're just going to put it in there. What I want you to do is during communion, as we pass the piece, if you want to, I want you to take one of those cards and I want you to write on it the ways that you have looked to quench your thirst in a wrong way. And what I want you to do with that is fold it up and you're going to place it in the box and we'll never read them. We'll throw them away or burn them or something. We'll never read them, I promise. But I want you, as you take communion, to symbolically leave that. Leave that with Jesus. Just like this woman left the pail and moved on to a life to where she said, I'm no longer going to look to the things I look to, but I'm going to look to Jesus May that be our hearts as well. Let me pray for us and we'll take communion. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and generosity to us. We're so thankful for the ways that you care for us and you give us life. You give us satisfaction in Christ. You give us fulfillment through the gospel. Father, may we come back to the spring today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.